curiosity tried to kill him once, then apologized and politely left. When people pet him, they purr. He finds litter boxes beneath him. He's defeated outlaws with just one look. He takes his milk whole. His hairballs are made from fine Italian lamb's wool. He is the most interesting cat in the world. Stay furry, my friends. Meow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is podcast 356 for November the 6th, 2011. I'm Rico, your host. And that was a little uh, ad commercial TV spot for the new Puss in Boots movie uh, that is out in theaters with Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek and and just a, a great fun movie. Lynn and I actually went to see it last weekend and it really enjoyed it. I I like the Shrek movies. I, I kind of have a soft spot for the little kitty cat Puss in Boots, so it's uh, very much uh, a, a fun. Just uh, good times at the movies and it's uh, a, a movie you can take uh, your kids to and enjoy yourself as well. So, but today is not Puss in Boots podcast or Shrek podcast, but it's going to be about Star Trek. Hey, going to do a kind of a classic show today covering a TOS, a classic uh, Trek episode. Going to look at the third season episode, That Which Survives, with uh, the very attractive at the time and and is still uh, doing conventions to this day, Lee Merriweather as Lucira. So that's coming up on today's podcast. Also going to talk about some... uh, of the TV, kind of a little TV roundup, a little bit about my internet troubles of the last week or two, and and so much more. So sit back, sip some tea or whatever beverage you have of your choice, or or don't drink if you're driving. Well, that's not a good idea anyway. So anyway, I'll uh, be right back after the intro, and we'll get this show going. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. All right, again, welcome to the podcast, folks. Um, a few kind of housekeeping things to begin with. Um, and, and before I forget, uh, I'm going to announce a new contest, too, so stand by for that. But first off, last weekend, I did that Halloween show, which was a, a great deal of fun, a lot of fun. I uh, wish I would have gotten just a few more segments from you guys, but I uh, maybe uh, next time out uh, that will happen. I, I just uh, it, It's fun to do a more of a book-oriented uh, show and, and read some stories and, and just have a good time, something uh, a little uh, outside of what I normally do on the podcast, but still, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, and, and genre-related uh, to uh, all of us uh, nerds and geeks. You know, I think we enjoy this kind of stuff, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, doing it, and I think I'm going to say enjoyed just a few more times. Enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed. Yes. <laughs> and I hope you guys did too. That was a good time, and it it's, uh, was was fun for Halloween. So 
I, uh, I would like to do things more related to books. And, and speaking of that, here's a little segue. There's going to be something like that coming up in the not-too-distant future on the podcast. I'm going to go over the um, upcoming schedule that I've posted. Uh, well, it's on the forum. I'll post it on the main site today, get that up there. Uh, what we're doing, um, well, obviously this week is That Which Survives from TOS. Next week, we're going to have a guest host. Vartok uh, has volunteered kind of without much notice, so I appreciate that very much. He is going to cover the music of Hans Zimmer, who is a, a composer of, of great music, has done a lot of cool films. Actually, he's scoring the next Batman movie, too, as we um, pretty much as we speak, and as we, I think he's working on that right now. So anyway, Hans Zimmer Vartok will be covering on next week, November 13th. On the 20th of November, I will be looking at the Enterprise episode called The Seventh. I think that's from season one, if I remember correctly, or one of the early seasons, one or two. But And on the 27th of November, that'll be Thanksgiving weekend for the, those of us in the U.S., I'm going to cover the TV series Roswell, which is another favorite show of mine and something I'd like, I've been wanting to talk about. So we're going to cover that. And then on uh, the last date I have mapped out right now is December the 4th. I'm going to interview author Mike Martin, who I've spoken with before on this podcast. He's got a new book out. Um, this is an Enterprise novel. It is set during uh, the Romulan War, Romulan Conflict. It is called The Romulan War with a subtitle To Brave the Storm by Michael A. Martin. It's, again, an Enterprise novel. I'm about 100 pages into it, and I'm going to try to get it done before I interview him for that December 4th show. So that's coming up. In the next several weeks on Treks in Sci-Fi, uh, I'm always open, too, for suggestions. If you guys have a particular episode or movie or TV show you'd like to see covered, you know, just shoot me an email over at uh, treksf at gmail.com. Or if you're a forum member, you know, shoot me a PM or put a post there. And if you're not a forum member, that is also the way to get to be a forum member, is to shoot me an email, let me know what your username is that you'd prefer, and also, uh, you know, just... Just tell me, uh, you know, that you've been listening to the show forever and you just finally have decided to join the forum, <laughs> which you should. It's a great place and we have a lot of fun there. So I think that's uh, most of it. And uh, the housekeeping, one last thing, uh, not really housekeeping, but and then I'll talk about, you know, other related um, things and stuff. It is uh, a contest. Yes, Uh We've got another uh, set of books from The Walking Dead. I did a giveaway one, the first one, to Tim. He won that. That was uh, for uh, him. Sorry, I got distracted for a second. Uh, he won that. Uh, Batmite on the forums has been has been generous and has been giving these away. He's got the next two volumes, which are The Walking Dead comics. Basically, you know, the, the TV series The Walking Dead is based on this comic series, and he has collections, and I think there may be about 12, maybe more uh, comics per collection. And he's volunteered, uh, he's given away, he's got two uh, other books, book two and three, to give away. And we'll just give those away as a package, I think. And uh, to win this, you're going to have two weeks to enter this contest, because Vartok's guest hosting next week. So you'll have two whole weeks to shoot me an email, treksf at gmail.com. And the trick with this, keep in mind... To enter this contest, first off, I want you to, you have to be in the U.S. Sorry, guys, but um, this is Batmite. He's shipping these things around, so I'm only going to uh, have him ship to the United States. Unless he changes his mind, and if he does, I will, well, we'll just have to put it to the U.S. because I, I have no way of really getting that information back to you. 
anyway, just shoot me an email and put the title in the subject to put the word brains in the subject and you'll be entered into this Walking Dead contest for the next two volumes of the Walking Dead comics from Batmite. So that's cool. I'm going to have in another week, couple weeks, uh, uh, more than a week, because I, like I said, I won't be here next week. Uh, I've got some, also some uh, comics, some Star Trek comics that a listener sent to me, and we'll be giving some of those away too. So uh, we've got other contests coming, and that that little group, uh, I will be able to allow that because uh, I'll ship them out, and we'll we'll include our UK and other people from around the world in that one. So keep uh, your ears open for that. I'm going to take a short break, and I'll come back and talk a little TV and internet and other things. Hey there, once you've finished listening to the brilliant treks in sci-fi with Rico Dusty, why don't you come over and check my podcast ad? We talk about classic television programs and films from around the world. We're called Waffle on Podcast, and you can find us at iTunes. Just type in Waffle on Podcast, or go to our main website, that's waffleon.podbean.com. We would be honoured if you'd join us. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Comcast, Comcast, my buddies. <laughs> well, for maybe the last month or so, I've been having on and again and on and off again internet troubles. A lot of it has to do with upload. Upload speeds have been terrible, almost non-existent at times, which not only makes uploading anything to the website or doing anything related to that a big problem, but it, you know, to have a good internet experience. You need to be able to upload in a way. Anytime you send information, like you're going to a website and you're saying, okay, internet, bring up this website, or you're you're entering something, maybe you're ordering something online, all that info has to be uploaded to them. So um, I've done speed tests and things, and it was getting last weekend terrible. Uh, towards the end of last week, uh, not just a couple of days ago, but you know, more than a week ago before Halloween, uh, it was to the point that I, I call, I've called Comcast a couple of times, and it sometimes gets a little better, sometimes whatever. It just you know just seems to fix itself. Uh, but they came out, and uh, they, I finally got him to come out to the house, and we do a few things. Uh, he uh, runs a new line from the little internet connector thingy that's out in the kind of between our house and the neighbor's house. Runs a whole new wire through my backyard, which has still got to be buried sometime, which is going to be annoy me and be a pain because we have one of those uh, invisible electric dog fences for Kaylee, and I just even though we've marked where it's at, I have a feeling you know they'll go chop chop through it, you know, and mess it up. So that we've got a new wire, and even with all that and a couple little adjustments inside, it still wasn't working right at all, and nothing had changed. So I think running that wire outside again was a was a waste of time. But uh, he eventually, I about four, six months ago, maybe five, five or six, whatever, back in around March, April, I got tired of paying the $7 a month for renting a cable modem from Comcast. They had changed, gone from $5 per month for the modem to 7 So I decided, I'll just buy my own modem. I mean, why, why not? That should be simple. So I bought my own Motorola, one of their approved ones. It's a 6120... Um, I think it's called a surfboard uh, Motorola. It's again one of their approved ones. They even use this sometimes on their installs, and everything was working great. I got it hooked up. 
Uh, speeds were good, probably as good or maybe even just a tiny bit better than they used to be after I put this in place. And everything was great. And then, like I said, in the last month or so, internet was, you know, a problem. So this guy brought a new modem in and actually he brought one that was identical to, to the one I had and he couldn't get that one to work. So then he brings another one in, a different Motorola one, kind of an older model, and he gets that to work and it seems to be working okay. So he's saying, oh, your modem is bad. So now I'm stuck back with renting a Comcast modem. And all this, I guess, is probably, you know, I don't know why I'm talking so much about the podcast about it. But, I, I, you know, if anyone's had similar experiences, please, you know, shoot me an email. I've done some searching. But just yesterday, Saturday again, which, which it was really acting up last Saturday, it starts to act up goofy again with this new modem. Not quite as bad as it was, but, you know, the, the download speed slows down, the upload speed slows down. A couple times it was really bad. It, it, it kind of worked itself out later, but I, I don't know if this is just a usage thing, a shared usage thing that's going on or what the problem is, but I'm, I'm a little annoyed that, you know, different equipment doesn't seem to be fixing it, a new line doesn't seem to be fixing it, and I'm about ready to call them up and say I'm going to go to AT&T at U-verse and, and come get your crap and get it out of my house, so... Uh, I don't know. I, I hate to switch because it's such a pain. We have a um, TiVo that uses a little cable card from Comcast in it, and I have to reset everything up. So I'm hoping it stays good. It seems to be okay right now. But uh, anyway, that's my internet troubles. <laughs> On a different front, again, mostly I'm just relaying that. If anyone has any suggestions, um, whatever, uh, I'm open to just about anything right now that might help. Uh, Let's talk TV, though. Let's talk uh, TV, new new TV uh, for the fall here, like shows like Grimm, The Secret Circle, um, American Horror Story, and so forth. Well, I, I, I'm trying to be very diligent this year because there's so much on, and I've said this uh, for several weeks now since the fall season started, but I've given up on American Horror Story. I'm done with that. I didn't like the characters very much. The storylines were interesting and okay, maybe. But I, it's just it just dropped, or I just had to drop it since um, it didn't make my cut after after watching the first three episodes. So that's gone. Uh, Grim, I'm enjoying. I've seen two episodes now so far. Of that that's a new show uh, on Friday nights on um, NBC. Yeah, it's, it shows up right after Chuck, which is also Chuck's back. I've seen the first couple episodes of the new season of Chuck, which is as fun as ever. Great show. Really sad as it's its last season right now. It's in its last season, but. Uh, enjoying it as much as I can for every episode that we're getting. So, uh, but Grimm is is really cool. Has a kind of a Buffy Angel type vibe. It's basically about a police detective who can see uh, these supernatural beings that are kind of living amongst us. A lot of them are not exactly nice people, and uh, he ha- he's, he's one of this line of uh, this family line of Grimms who is sort of tasked and charged with keeping these creatures, just like Buffy was, kind of um, away from the normal population and keeping people safe. Plus, he's a police officer, which helps a lot, unlike Buffy, who was just a uh, cheerleader in high school when she discovered what she could do. So it's a fun show. I I hope it gets a shot. I'm a little worried that it's on Friday nights. (laughs) Not exactly the best night, although it's become the night for sci-fi and TV. There's just a ton on Fridays now. We've got Chuck and Grimm. Fringe, which has been great this season uh we have clone wars sanctuary just a lot of cool stuff to watch on fridays and my weekends are full catching up on these shows and uh we've got um the uh, once upon a time show 
I've seen the first couple episodes of that, and it's on Sunday nights. Uh, I, I like the show. I, I think it's an interesting concept. You know, this is one where these fairy tale creatures, kind of like the fantasy show Grimm, there are these um, beings that are living amongst us, but they don't really have powers, and they don't really know there's a curse, and they don't really know who they are. So that is the premise there. Uh, it's a cool show. I'm just concerned about its long-term you know, history or not history, long-term potential is the way to put it. Uh, you know, can this, is this a show that could be on for years and years and years? I suppose if the uh, the writers, I was going to say the authors, the, the writers are clever enough. Uh, Buffy kind of kept reinventing itself each year or every couple of years and had new ideas and new bad guys and new things to deal with. So um, we'll see. I'm enjoying it so far. Jennifer Morrison is the main lead actress in this who was on House, and uh, I've mentioned her or mentioned the show before. She played uh, Kirk's mom in the movie from JJ. And uh, so we'll keep watching that one, see how that works out. And Big Bang Theory's back, of course, and that's been fun. And just lots and lots of sci-fi and fantasy shows to see this this uh, season. I was going to say this series. <laughs> uh, let's segue over quickly into um, some Star Trek uh, comments and news and, and information. Uh, the the big thing the big thing that's going on or the big story that came out in the last couple of days is that J.J. Abrams, you know they they've got the script I guess pretty much in hand. Uh, they're scouting places to film. Production is supposed to really gear up in the first of 2012. Still no uh, official official word about uh, a release date for the next Trek movie, but the the latest story or the latest uh, you know sort of unofficial rumor is that Benicio Del Toro has been sort of like contacted or asked or uh, been mentioned now as possibly being the the lead main villain for the next Star Trek movie. Yes, Benicio Del Toro, who, you know, can the guy only mumble when he speaks? I'm not sure. I I, I think he's a pretty interesting actor. Uh, and, uh, the, the, of course, because he has a Hispanic, uh, you know, of Hispanic descent, and Ricardo Montalban was of Hispanic descent, you know, that the, you know, obvious, real, real obvious uh, rumor thing that's throwing or being thrown around out there is that Benicio Del Toro could possibly play a new version of Khan for the next Trek movie. Now, is that just too obvious to me? I don't know. Or is it so obvious that it is true? I don't know. It, it's... It would really surprise me a lot if they go with Khan as a villain in the next movie. I think that they they could do much more. I thought they came up with kind of a new, you know, fairly new idea and stuff in the last film. And I don't see that after all this time working on the story and the script, that this would be what they'd come up with. Now, with that in mind still, there's a couple of things that as I was kind of taking a shower this morning and I was thinking about it and kind of, uh, you know, it was just the, the other angle of it is, is that he's, he's a well-known villain, kind of like Darth Vader and the, 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 he has a built-in appeal. So you could use that as an idea that, Hey, a lot of people will go see this to see what they do with Khan. And it's only those real diehard Star Trek fans that may get up in arms about something like this. But I don't know. I'm still, I'm kind of on the fence with, I mean, it's not like if they, if they do announce he's playing Khan, I'm going to say, that's it. I'm not going to go see this movie. I'll, I, I hate the idea, you know. 
it's it's not that way at all for me. Just like when George Lucas monkeys with the the latest edition of Star Wars, I don't swear off Star Wars. I don't. I think some of his ideas for what, his changes aren't the best and the smartest things. But it's not like you know a Star Wars. Oh well, I'm done with you. Uh, but uh, I just think they could do much more now. The other thing I was thinking of, they they spent seem to spend a long time working on the story and the script. Could that be they really got trouble and and they eventually came back around to doing Khan, you know, and that Benicio is going to play him? I don't know. I think we're going to find out pretty soon, though. I would I would imagine before uh, Christmas, before the holidays, uh, if he gets signed up, I imagine it'll come out what what kind of character. I could also see him playing a Klingon. You know, I could see that happening. So we'll see. Uh, it's. Uh, who knows? Well, you know, they, they, I, I really, again, hope it's not Khan. I don't see that they need to do that. I think they could come up with another a big, you know, bad villain that's never been seen before and doesn't really have a lot to do with the original series. So uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, that's uh, about the news of Trek that I wanted to pass on. Uh, oh, one other little thing Trek-related. You can see that new uh, William Shatner uh, documentary with all the captains being interviewed by Shatner. The, the actors, I should say, that played captains on the shows uh, called The Captains. Uh, that is streaming on Netflix, so if you are able to get that, check that out when you get a chance. And uh, I'm going to take a break, I think, again at this point. I think that's about all I needed to cover. Uh, if I need to cover more, I'll do that before I start the look at uh, the TOS episode, uh, That Which Survives, coming up here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello, everyone. This is Vartok again with another music and sci-fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to play a TV show opening music track from a well-known science fiction series of the past and see if you can remember or guess where it played. Later in this podcast, I will reveal where the music comes from, who composed it, and some of the trivia behind it and the show for which it played. I am guessing that perhaps about 1 in 50 of you will recognize it and the mystery will be over. For those fans, just lean back and enjoy the track. It is by one of my favorite composers. enjoyed that track as much as I did. 
Stay tuned, and I will be back to solve the riddle later in this podcast. Well, thanks very much, Vartok, for that uh, cool music. Uh, I recognized it, and uh, I, I think probably, a, well, there's quite a few, I think, listeners will recognize that. I, I would say maybe more than one in 50, uh, like you suggested, but who knows? Uh, so uh, I will play a Vartok's follow-up segment to that later in today's podcast, uh, more towards the end after we look at the TOS episode, That Which Survives, which is coming up here just very shortly couple other little things I wanted to mention I, I remembered. Uh, uh, one is there's a new trailer out for the next Underworld movie, Underworld Awakening, with Kate Beckinsale uh, that's available. You can see the trailer. Just go to you know YouTube or comingsoon.net is a, is a great place for uh, movie info and, and stuff coming up on uh, in, at the theaters, uh, trailers and that. I think it first premiered, this trailer premiered over at Yahoo Movies. Uh, there's a um, also, uh, news of the next James Bond movie has been named. It's called Skyfall, and uh, they are starting to work on that. Uh, there's some a couple of kind of fuzzy, blurry pictures of Daniel Craig uh, and uh, Dame Judi Dench, who is back also uh, floating around on the Internet. Uh, so all kinds of stuff. We've got coming up this Friday that new movie, uh, uh, Mortals, Immortals. <laughs> I can speak, yes. Uh, that's where we're going to get a look at the guy who's playing Henry Cavill. That's who's playing the next uh, Superman in the next movie, uh, the next Superman movie, which is still uh, not going to be out till the summer of 2013. Yes, a year from next summer, uh, that movie. <laughs> By the time that happens, we'll have all kind of forgotten about all these pictures we keep seeing of them filming and working on it. What I'm surprised at is... I was just looking, uh, as I took uh, the break and listened to Vartok's uh, segment there, uh, I was looking over at comingsoon.net. They are, uh, there's some more photos popping up, uh, more and more almost every couple of days of the dark, the next uh, Batman film, The uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, filming in New York. Now, this movie is coming out next summer, and they're still filming this thing. So, uh, their scenes, you, you can see a lot. This movie has been getting lots of... Um, uh, paparazzi. I don't know if that's just a lot of uh, photos and, and video being taken of them filming it. I think a lot of it has to do with it being filmed on on um, you know in city areas and stuff in, in New York and that and out and about. You know, not on sound stages, so it's kind of hard to keep all that away. And everyone's got a phone in their pocket and and all. But there's a lot of stuff. The the latest photos I just saw looks like a little bit of Batman fighting Bane. There's not a surprise. He's he's one of the villains in the next movie. And uh, there's a big, uh, looks like some kind of a big riot going on on the streets of Gotham and, uh, well, New York and in, in where it's filmed. And that uh, involves Batman and they're fighting. And looks like they're actually uh, fighting in a, in a, you know, during the day, which surprises me. You know, Batman's always seems to do so many things that are going on in the darkness and at night. And I, I don't think this is the only time they're going to fight because it looks like from one of the quick little brief glimpses we got in one of the trailers they've done or the trailer uh is that it looks like it's kind of a dark area where they're fighting so who knows what happens maybe it's all one big fight maybe they get put into an area where it's darker like into a parking structure i don't know but lots of stuff out for the batman movie that you can see you can pretty much you know i think by the end of when that one comes out you'll be able to piece it all together Um, not maybe exactly what happens but at least have a lot of looks at it and catwoman they've been showing uh some pictures of her uh, of uh, uh, why am I blanking on who's playing her? Anne Hathaway, yes, playing Catwoman. So there's been some photos of her out. So 
lots of cool stuff. Uh, lots of good movies coming out next summer. I mean, just crazy. I mean, uh, here, let, let's just do a quick preview, and then I'll, I will uh, definitely get started on the TOS episode. But, he, but here's stuff that's coming out next summer. We have uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, The Amazing Spider-Man, Battleship, The Born Legacy, Brave, The Dark Knight Rises, Dark Shadows, The Dictator, The Expendables 2, G.I. Joe 2, Ice Age, Continental Drift, Jack the Giant Killer, Madagascar 3, Marvel's The Avengers, Men in Black 3, Prometheus, Rock of Ages, Snow White and the Huntsman, Total Recall. So those movies and more are coming out next summer, and uh, I think it'll be a pretty good year. What do you guys think? <laughs> we will see. So one last little short break, and then we're looking at looking at then we're looking at the TOS episode that which survives, and I'm Wolfman Jack. Hi, this is Connor Trenier. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. All right, That Which Survives, uh, which is from the third season of TOS. First off, I'm going to do just clips, some audio clips, instead of going through the whole episode and commenting on it. Uh, haven't done that in a little while, and this seemed like a good episode to do that for. That Which Survives, season three from TOS. It was, uh, the I think, about the 14th episode of that season, about the midway point, maybe a little bit uh, more, but uh, it first aired on January 24th, 1969. The remastered version aired on March 15th, 2008. So, uh, this, um, well, let's see, this they say it's the 70th of 80 episodes produced for TOS. I guess counting uh, The Cage as a pilot episode, too, and then um, counting it again later in the menagerie as a two parter. The teleplay by, oh, uh, was by a guy named John Meredith Lucas, who worked on uh, several Trek stories. Uh, the story itself, though, was from a guy named Michael Richards, directed by Herb Wals- Wallerstein. Wallerstein? Now, this episode uh, is, is not anywhere probably near the top of my TOS list, but I am trying to get through all TOS episodes if I, if I can. And it's still a good episode, I think, a solid episode, and has some interesting things in it and some excitement and, and things we don't always see, some some uh, not really new ideas exactly. I think the ideas in this episode are pretty, have, are pretty tried and true for Trek and have been kind of done before. But they do it in a new and an interesting way, so I thought it was worth looking at. Uh, one of the things that, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I wanted to bring it up now before we really get into the episode, uh, completely, but how cool would it be? How let me say that again. How cool would it be if they did sometime they uh, could do a like a TV movie or even a little mini series that would show the uh, show TOS in the early days being filmed. So you would actually see the actors like people playing Shatner and Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and all the other actors new people playing them, actors that sort of looked, of course, like them a little bit, kind of like they did in the J.J. movie, but it was more of a of a, of a filming of them filming uh, the series. In other words, showing what it was like day-to-day, having some of the sets there, showing some of the behind-the-scenes things that were going on, how hard Gene Roddenberry, you know, had to work to begin with to get the show on the air. I, I'm really surprised, given the, the Star Trek you know, legacy and history that nobody's tried to tackle such a project ever, ever before. I just think it would be fascinating, you know, not to quote Spock and really cool. And uh, Paramount and CBS or whoever would ha- would have the rights to do something like that. If you're listening, hey, give me a few million bucks. I'll make it for you. So uh, it, it's I just think it would be a great idea. I would love to see, you know, there's enough information, video, 
pictures and and books and stuff written and and a lot of these people are even still around some of the producers and execs that worked on the original series and the actors of course and that they would be able to do a pretty good job and and make it pretty interesting make it pretty dramatic make it accurate and uh, for the fans i think we'd love to see something like that so i don't know why i wanted to get that out now i think i maybe have perhaps talked about that at some point in time Maybe not on the podcast, maybe on the forum. I don't know, but uh, I just would love to see some kind of a Star Trek documentary. Uh, that's probably not the best word. More of a reenactment or a dramatization of them making the original series and, and how, you know, how they got by with such little bit of money to do the show and and just seeing these guys go down to the to the you know the studio Desilu you know uh, where they would eat lunch in their costumes and, and just you know driving home even in costumes still sometimes after long days and, and just they're they're outside of the studio lives the actors and the other people that worked on it and Gene and everything and just just it would just be cool I just can't get over that no one's ever done this before maybe it's a a big thing to take on uh, and it certainly wouldn't be an easy project but i would love to see something like that they've obviously written a lot of books and and that would be a good basis to start with and researching and trying to come up with how to how to do this Uh, i think you'd need definitely more than two hours i'd love to see it as like a maybe a four-hour mini series or something like that that would just at least take you for the early days where it was was first getting going to to into the filming and maybe a little after after it ended and that and how uh how that all played out so maybe you know have it have it be done in maybe three or four time periods you know early during and then after and maybe even into the 70s and the in the the bleak times of trek when they were just popping up you know the actors at at conventions they were able to do that now and then they couldn't get a whole lot of other acting jobs even shatner back in those days was was not uh you know certainly not the shat that we know now so okay now that which survives from the third season of tos the the big uh concept or story of this episode is the Enterprise encounters this planet, uh, sort of a planetoid or, or a very young planet, and can't quite explain it. And, and a few of the crew, including Kirk and McCoy, uh, beam down to investigate. And uh, and then when, that's when everything kind of you know happens or starts. And that's before the, even the original or the intro to the episode score and all that. Um, the uh, the episode is 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 just done in two different areas they're they're basically on this planet there's a group of four of them to start with and then back on the enterprise spock is left in command and that's how this uh, plays out i'm going to play the uh, trailer for it and then we'll get into playing some of the clips and talk more about that which survives for you, Mr. Watkins. I want to touch you. Please continue, Mr. Scott. But if the probe doesn't precisely match the magnetic flow, there'll be an explosion. Please commence. I'll explain. There's no time. Push the button. Six seconds. Five seconds. Four seconds. Three seconds. Two seconds. One. 
gone. The Enterprise, it's gone. Yeah, so uh, a little hard to tell from the trailer. A lot of you probably know this episode, but uh, the um, you know it, it features a, a, the guest star Lee Merriweather, who plays Losira, and uh, she is not really all that nice in this episode, <laughs> but not a really emotional type of, of being, just pops up and is trying to basically keep the people off the from the off the planet and keep the enterprise away ends up uh hurtling the enterprise actually way across the galaxy far away from uh, where this planet is at the, at the beginnings of it so uh it's uh very uh cool i think uh, one of the thing i find find kind of interesting with this episode and i'm going to play the first uh clip from the episode other than the trailer there for you next uh but it's it's the the landing party is a little different that you norm than you normally get and uh, i'll talk about that a little bit uh after uh, i play this clip uh from the early part of the episode where i think they're talking about the planets and and spock's giving some information on that take the facts one by one that should explain something undoubtedly the age of this planet would seem to be only a few thousand years it would be impossible for vegetation to evolve in so short a period its size is approximately that of Earth's moon. But its mass and its atmosphere are similar to Earth. That would be difficult to explain. It would be impossible, Captain. An atmosphere could not evolve in so short a period of time. And yet it has. Evidently. But the inconsistencies are so compounded as to present a seemingly impossible phenomenon. But a fascinating one, Mr. Troy. Precisely, Captain. It would bear closer investigation, it would seem, if we were to provide Starfleet with an accurate report. Lieutenant, send Dr. McCoy to the transporter room for survey party. We'll also need senior geologist D'Amato. Aye, aye, Feed beam down coordinates to the transporter room. Mr. Sulu, you'll accompany me. Mr. Spark, you have the car. Lieutenant Rada, report to the bridge immediately. This expedition should be a geologist's dream, Sir D'Amato. Well, the opportunity to explore so young a planet is an incredible bit of luck, Captain. Yes, if Mr. Spark is correct, you'll have a report to startle the Fifth Interstellar Geophysical Conference. Why? What is it, Jim? A planet even Spark can't explain. Prepare to transport. Yeah, and as they beam out, uh, Lucera first appears in the transporter room and, and, and kind of attacks the transporter uh, crewman there. And, and kills him, and uh, just as they're beaming out, there's a kind of a neat effect there where, where the landing the landing party uh, can notice and see what's going on, but they're caught kind of in the transporter beam or the early part of it and can't really move or do anything about it. I, I like that idea, and that's been done a few times throughout Trek uh, where the people being transported, there's a sort of little uh, state where they're actually sort of being, you know, dematerialized, but they somehow can still, you know, see what's going on to to for a, a few seconds at least and uh and then when they get down to the planet they're they're worried about what's going on or what happened and they can't seem to locate the enterprise there's a little tremor that happens on the planet and w one of the things about the tremor there is this set um even though the rocks and the planet that they seem to use here is it looks like typical tos type style planet they actually created a little um moving area for the 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 shaking of the planet when they do this this sort of earthquake effect 
and uh, Matt Jeffries and a couple others worked on that. Uh, and instead of so, instead of the usual, like a lot of times on TOS when they would have to show something moving like that, they would just sort of move the camera, shake the camera, and the people would kind of jostle themselves around. Well, here they actually had a moving set to moving a uh, stage that they were standing on and it would shift on this um, I think a little hydraulic kind of lift thing and then they you know so they could react to that and, and get tossed around a little more realistically in a way if that's the, a good word to use <laughs> but something that uh, was a little more n interesting for them uh, as the actors were on uh, the planet itself so uh, this uh, this is early in the episode still again and we get the, the landing party here of um, Kirk, like I said. Kirk goes down, Sulu, McCoy, and a chief geologist, Giamato. Uh, I always want to call him Giamato because a, he's a geologist, and his name should be Giamato, right? But it's Diamato, like with a D apostrophe A-M-O-T-O or something like that. And uh, you never, you know, this is, this is a guy you've never seen before in the series and you don't see him after this because he doesn't make it through but he doesn't wear a red shirt when you know if you ever need a trivia question of you know name a tos character or something like that that uh only showed up for an episode uh you know but and and didn't have a red shirt on and didn't and and but he did die anyway let, let get that right yeah so he's not a red shirt but he doesn't make it through the episode. So poor chief geologist uh, Diamato doesn't quite make it later on. And we'll, we'll talk about that as I play a couple more clips. So, uh, but I, I like it. I like that, that Kirk picks a landing party. You know, he picks somebody at least who this planet is very unusual. So they bring somebody down here that, that should maybe be able to have some kind of scientific, uh, you know, background and information to help them decipher what's going on. Now, he could have taken Spock. Spock seems to be a scientist, uh, you know, about everything. He knows uh, everything about everything. But this, since there's a lot of stuff that's said on the ship in this episode and things happen, you know, Kirk leaves him there. The real reason he gets left on the ship is that it was going to, there was going to be a lot of uh, acting going on and they didn't really want some secondary or tertiary character being the in command so instead of him taking the usual you know his his buddy spock and mccoy and then maybe somebody else ensign ricky yes take him but they they bring this uh, chief geologist down instead so uh and it's happened a few other times there was especially in the early days of tos a lot of times there'd be somebody that was sort of a specialist that would go down with them and they would uh sometimes they would survive and sometimes they wouldn't um uh, speaking of Khan earlier, you know, Marlon MacGyvers, who was uh, uh, somebody that, you know, went over when they first discovered the Botany Bay and the the crew of, uh, of that and Khan and everything. That was an interesting thing where they brought in this other, you know, character, another crew person who had some expertise that seemed to be vital and helpful to their mission. So I, I like it when they do things like that. And, I, and I'd like, you know, if they ever did another Star Trek series, I would love them to have maybe... A little bit of a bigger cast and have more of these secondary characters that you see now and then, but not a lot. You know, you have your main six, seven, eight characters, but then you have sort of a lower decks crew, we'll call it, that come in to do, to help and do certain things. You know, there are other TV series that do that these days. Uh, some of the sci-fi channel shows and that that you bring in characters and they're sort of a, what they call a recurring role or recurring character that they're not in every episode but they show up now and then and they have a, a, a thing to do and, and then they disappear for a few episodes and then you see them again sometime. 
I'd like that. Uh, they didn't really do that a whole lot. Uh, and I would love to see them do that. I think some of the Trek series did it. DS9 did it a little bit. Uh, but uh, other shows didn't do it very much. So I would like to see that uh, in the future. Who knows? Maybe we'll get it. Anyway, next clip. The Enterprise must have blown up. That would explain the high radiation readings, wouldn't it, Captain? If the matter-antimatter sure, engines... Sir, we stop guessing, Mr. Sulu. I'm trying to establish a pattern. I get no readings of high energy concentration. If the Enterprise had blown up, it would have left a high residual radiation. Could it be the Enterprise hit us? Hit the planet. Once in Siberia, there was a meteor so great that it flattened whole forests and was felt as far... Mr. Sulu, if I'd wanted a Russian history lesson, I'd have brought along Mr. Chekhov. This is a matter of survival, gentlemen. Without the Enterprise, we need food, and we need water, and we need them fast. I want a detailed analysis made of this planet, and I want it now. Aye, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Sulu. No damage. All power levels normal. Damage control report. Ship functioning normally. Many bumps and bruises. One casualty, Mr. Spock, the transport officer. He's dead. Dead. Spock to sick bay. Sick bay, Dr. Mabinka. Report on the death of the transporter officer. Well, we're not sure. Uh, Dr. Sanchez is conducting an autopsy right now. Hmm. Give me a full report as soon as possible, please. Spock out. Mr. Scott, the transporter checked for possible malfunction. No debris of any kind, sir. I've made two full scans. If the planet had broken up, there'd be some sign. What bothers me is the stars, Mr. Spock. The stars? Yes, sir. They're wrong. Wrong? Yes, Mr. Spock. Look. Now, here's a replay of the star pattern just before the explosion. Hmm. A positional change. It doesn't make any sense. But somehow I'd say that in a flash, we've been knocked 1,000 light years away from where we were. 990.7 light years, to be exact, Lieutenant. But that's not possible. Nothing can do that. Mr. Scott, since we are here, your statement is not only illogical, but also unworthy of refutation. It is also illogical to assume that any explosion, even that of a small star going supernova, could have hurled us a distance of 990.7 light years. But the point is, it shouldn't have hurled us anywhere. It should have destroyed us immediately, vaporized us. That is correct, Mr. Scott, by all the laws that we know. Yeah, so here we're learning about the Enterprise being tossed, you know, almost 1,000 light years away, 990, whatever, 0.7 is it, right? Uh, and uh, so there's obviously a, a force here that that's that's super powerful, a lot more than they could have, or they did detect in any way, an alien something that did this to them. Not really a natural phenomenon. And the, another part of this episode that I enjoy quite a bit is you get a lot of Scotty in this episode. You get a lot of Scotty working with Spock, which isn't something that you see a lot. And the two of them are, it's an interesting dynamic between Spock and Scotty because Scotty's a very... You know, he goes with his gut a lot. He's emotional. He he really has a personal connection to the Enterprise, where Spock's this cold, analytical, you know, if, if a circuit's connected, it should work, and if it's not connected, it won't work. He's that kind of a person, where Scotty's a lot more intuitive and feely and, and just, oh, that sounded funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. He, he and it's I like it. I like it a lot. I I wish they would have had a chance to do that kind of more throughout the series. And and I always enjoy it when they use some of the other 
people on on the Enterprise, the other crew members. Sulu gets a little bit more to do in this episode, and, and, and Scotty, of course. So that's fun to see. We don't see Chekhov at all in this episode. So, you know, a little bit, you know, there, I'm kind of, uh, you know, that's that's a little too bad in a way. I'm not really quite sure why. Uh, I couldn't find any kind of reason, you know, that now Walter Koenig was off doing anything else because they bring up this this um, Lieutenant Rada, I think is her name, to replace Hel- uh, Helmsman Sulu, Sulu on the helm. Uh, she comes up and she kind of gets, you know, you know, chopped down a few times by Spock for, for her sort of rounding off some of the numbers she gives him. But they could have easily popped Chekhov in there in the navigation spot and had a little more interplay there with Spock and Chekhov. So I'm not really quite sure why that happened. Maybe because they, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe because they had some other guests on this episode. Who knows? Uh, let's do uh, the next clip. I am for you, Diamato. Do not be afraid. I'm not. Geological disturbances don't frighten me. I've come here to study them. They're my specialty. I know. You are Lieutenant Diamato, senior geologist. That's right. How did you know that? From the spaceship Enterprise. Yes, and we're stranded here. You've been talking to my friends. Do not be afraid. I'm not afraid. I am for you, Lieutenant Diamato. You're the woman on the Enterprise. I am only for Diamato. Look at Diamato. I want to have a conference about sharing your food and water. Do not call the others. Please. Cordy Kirk. Kirk here. Jim, I just got a life form reading of tremendous intensity. Suddenly it was just there. What do you mean, just there? Just that. All levels are normal, and then I get this biological surge of life form registry. No, now it's gone. As though a door opened and closed. Yes. What direction? I'm at zero. Zero eight three. Hang on. Diamato section, come in. Kirk to Diamato, come in. Come in. Bones, Sulu, Diamato doesn't answer. I'll be right there. Yeah, so you're on this alien planet, and this hot girl pops up and says, I am for you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, maybe we should go out and, you know, see a movie and get some dinner first, honey. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, you know, that easy, even though I am on the Enterprise and Kirk is in command. So, yeah, Lee Merriweather, I think she's really great in this episode because... She's, you know, you later learn, and it's not really a secret, you know, she's sort of this creation of this computer system. Uh, But uh, there's some personality kind of in her that slowly comes out in the episode in a way, and she starts to question what she's doing. And I think she does a great job. I like her outfit. It's it's a very funny outfit when you look at it uh, that Lucera wears in this episode because it is the classic uh, situation back in those days of where Gene Roddenberry was, you know, don't show those uh, women's belly buttons because that's so, so scary and, and for TV they can't do it. So you'll see she's got this outfit with this kind of top piece and bottom piece. But the bottom piece, even though... It, 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 it kind of rests on her hips a little bit. 
there's this little piece of, of fabric that kind of comes up in the center to cover her belly button. It looks kind of ridiculous, especially to us in the year 2011. But uh, I just, again, and it's kind of this purple. She It almost looks like a harem girl outfit to me a little bit, I always thought. Uh, and she's got this weird eye makeup on in this episode, too, that makes her look kind of like almost a, a peacock. There's a couple of close-ups I was noticing when I was gathering the clips and it's and it's these very very bright colors and and one of the things that that the original Trek always did and, and one of the reasons why they have such bright colors in the uniforms and some of the sets is these were this was a show that was done in you know the fairly early days of color television so they purposely you know created a very a lot of a lot of very brightly colored things for people to see to enjoy on their TVs I don't even really know if TVs just had trouble you know, translating that color if it came out a little muted on, on TV and if they kind of overcompensated by having, you know, people, actors and sets very brightly lit and colored. I don't know. But, you know, TOS is a very bright colored series. So that's maybe another reason why she has the makeup and outfit that she does have on. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, the guy uh, who's playing Diamato here that you don't see after this episode. Anyways, uh, uh, character actor Arthur Batana, uh, Batanaides? B-A-T-A-N-I-D-E-S. He lived from 1922 to the year 2000, passed away in the year 2000 at 77 in Los Angeles. Uh, He's from Washington originally. He was in a ton of stuff. If you watch anything, any old TV shows or movies from the 60s and the 70s, he was practically in every show that was going on back there from Dick Van Dyke to Gunsmoke to Get Smart, Death Valley Days, I Spy, Daniel Boone, It Takes a Thief, Mod Squad. This guy popped up all over the place. He had kind of a an everyman look to him, and I and I think it works well here in this episode for Star Trek II. And I, I just think uh, it, it always strikes me as kind of funny, the line he tells Locera here when she pops up and says, I am for you, and don't be afraid. And, and it's like, she's asking, don't be afraid of me. And he says, well, geological dis- disturbances don't frighten me. It's it's my specialty. It's I, I study them. She's not talking about the planet, buddy. She's talking about her. You know, I, I always thought that was a funny line, whether he was trying to shrug off what she was saying or, or what. But, uh, but anyway, she eventually, what happens uh, in this episode is she, when Lucira pops up and she touches you and she says, I am for you, you better look out because it has this, she has this ability to sort of almost basically destroy and disrupt what they call almost explode all of the cells in your body. I'm not really sure what that is biologically or scientifically. You know, why are you not just a massive goo after that happens? I don't know how that all is supposed to, what that's supposed to mean, but uh, it kills you and it hurts. So uh, there's a scene, I think the next clip actually I'm going to play here in a moment is when she comes for Sulu and uh, she just barely, barely touches him at one point uh, in his shoulder, and he just yells out and screams. And, of, of course, uh, it, it's a little funny of an exchange between Sulu and Lucira here to me. So we'll listen to this. You are Lieutenant Sulu. You were born on the planet Earth. You're helmsman for the Enterprise. How do you know this? Where did you get this information? Are you from this planet? I am from here. Then the planet is hollow. Who killed Lieutenant Diamato? All right. The captain will want to talk to you. That way. Move. You do not understand. I have come for you. What do you want? I want to touch you. 
the Enterprise. Keep back. Starbower, shoot. I don't want to have to kill a woman. Lieutenant Sulu. Don't let her touch the captain. That's how Tomato died. Faces won't stop her. I am for Lieutenant Sulu. I must touch him. How can you destroy others and not me? I don't want to destroy. I don't want to. Who are you? Why are you trying to kill us? Only Sulu. I mean you no harm. Yeah, so do you do you think uh you think Kirk's a little jealous in this episode? Because you know, first she's after the geologist guy who you never have seen before. Now she's after Sulu. I Kirk I think Kirk's feeling a little left out. You know, she's this hot alien girl and uh, you know, hey, what's going on? You guys that's my job here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get me the script guy. Get get that get that guy out here. We're gonna rewrite now. Eventually, of course, she is for Kirk too. But uh, and, and they eventually learn that she has been sort of created and programmed to only um, be able to hurt and and go for one of them at a time, which is a key point. And uh, it, it enables them to sort of keep her away and, and uh, protect the others. When she comes out and she's just volunteers the information, I am for such and such. It's like, okay, that person needs to hide behind the rest of us. And uh, it, it's kind of, I like that idea. I think that's kind of interesting. This is sort of a computer-based uh, creation here, Locera is. And it's very uh, methodical and logical and thoughtful and just... It just basically says, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. And, oh, did I just tell you that? You know, where if it was somebody that had a little savvy and, a, and, a, and an alien or a person, they might not want to admit exactly who it was that they were for before they go after them. You know what I mean? It's like, who's my target? Okay, yeah, well, if I tell you who my target is, I guess I'm probably going to have trouble then getting to them. And if I don't tell you, so... But it works for the episode. I feel that it works within the what they uh, eventually learn about what's going on here in this episode. And during all these little things that are going on here on the planet, there are cuts back and forth uh, between what's going on in the Enterprise. And they, they first, they start back towards the planet uh, at high warp speed. And eventually, Scotty uh, discovers and he talks to Spock about this a few times that the... Uh, the ship doesn't feel right. The ship doesn't feel right, Mr. Spock. You know, he he has a very, you know, again, intuitive sense of the Enterprise and what the, the ship should be like. No matter what the instruments, no matter what all his gauges and panels tell him, it's not uh, quite uh, the way it should be. And he notices things that other people wouldn't notice because he's so good at his job and he loves his beloved Enterprise. Never did this. They're still aboard this ship. I fail to understand why you canceled the security alert. A force that could hurl us 990.7 light years away 
and at that distance still be able to sabotage our main source of energy, will not be waiting around to be taken into custody. As I recall the pattern of our fuel flow, there is an access tube leading to the matter-antimatter reaction chamber. Aye, there's a service crawlway, but it's not meant to be used while the integrator operates. Still, it is there, and it might be possible to shut off the flow of fuel at that point. What with? Their hands? A magnetic probe. Any matter that comes in contact with antimatter triggers the explosion. And I'm not even sure a man can live in a crawlway in the energy stream of the magnetic field that bottles up the antimatter. I shall try. You'll be killed, man. Unless a solution is found quickly, that fate awaits all of us. Aye, you're right. What have we got to lose? But I'll do it, Mr. Spock. I know every millimeter of that system. I'll do whatever has to be done. Very well, Mr. Scott. You spoke of the feel of the ship being wrong. Aye, it was an emotional statement. I don't expect you to understand it. I note it, Mr. Scott, without necessarily understanding it. I propose to run an analysis through the ship's computers, comparing the present condition of the Enterprise with her ideal condition. Mr. Spock, we don't have time for that. We have 12 minutes and 27 seconds. I suggest you do whatever you can in the service crawlway while I make the computer study. Yeah, again, uh, I, I like that scene. Good good uh, interaction between Spock and Scotty. I liked seeing them working out this problem, working together on a solution, both who have very good expertise in what their jobs are and what they do, and it helps because they save the ship together. It's, uh, it's definitely that the ship has gone through this sort of phase transition and has been somehow altered, and Scotty picks up on that. It's even some, you know, I've, I've noticed myself that, you know, when I'm driving in my car or using some kind of a tool or whatever it happens to be, you get used to a certain, you know, sounds and smells and vibrations, and if something is off, you pick up on it. I, I don't know about you guys and, and people listening to the podcast, but I, I'm kind of sensitive to those little little things like that to myself. I, I, I don't know. They're just, just, just pick up on it. <laughs> All right, enough about that. Uh, where are we with the show? Let's see the, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, save the enterprise. They're, they've discovered they've been, you know, there's this transition or change that's happened. Oh, one thing I wanted to point out before I forget, if you watch the remastered version of this episode, I should have probably pointed this out earlier a little bit, but near the beginning where the enterprise is actually, um, shifted from one part of the galaxy to the other, there's this new effect that they do where the Enterprise sort of has this shimmer glow about it that they never showed in the original version of this. It's a real brief, brief effect, but it's kind of cool and it's kind of neat that they show, you know, try to show visually what happens to the Enterprise here and how it gets hurtled uh, or or moved uh, 990.7 light years away from where it was. So. Uh, I think coming up next here, we have uh, Lucira appears again, but this time she's for Captain Kirk. Hooray, Captain Kirk. It's an alien woman who wants you again. Keep behind us, John. Why do you want to kill us? For defense. You're Captain James T. Kirk, commander of the Enterprise. Then why do you want to kill me? You are an invader. We're here on a peaceful mission. 
It's you who've killed our people. We mean no harm to you. We want to leave peacefully. Captain, I'm getting no life form register. Android? Well, they would give a mechanical reading. I'm getting nothing. Who are you? I am Locera, commander. Commander of what? Of this station. Station? Station where? How do you feel about killing me? Feel? Killing is wrong. Stay between us. You must not penetrate the station. Please, I must touch you. You want to kill me? No. Then why do it if you don't want to? I am sent. By whom? Are there others on this planet? They are no more. How long have you been alone? Are you lonely? Yeah, so uh, they were able to uh, keep Kirk uh, safe, uh, keep him behind them, uh, even though I don't think he really liked that. I think he wanted Locera to touch him. <laughs> Probably thought it wouldn't hurt him. So uh, being the, you know, the, the, the ladies' man of the galaxy that he is. So, uh, oh, I wanted to also say, I forgot to say this, but there's a cool prop in this episode that's a little different, and you can get a replica of it uh, over at... Uh, different places like Entertainment Earth, but Diamato has a special geological-based uh, tricorder that's a little different in the center section than our typical tricorders that you see Spock using throughout the series. It's got a little light-up panel area, a little sensor thing there. Uh, again, it doesn't have the little memore area, and it doesn't have the little data disks. It's, uh, it's also drawn up, I believe, in the Franz Joseph technical manual there's a picture of that uh, special tricorder and you can get that i think it may be an exclusive to entertainment earth uh if i remember right and i don't know if i, I even got have one of those yet maybe i need to order me one of those order me one <laughs> and uh and i still need a couple other uh, props from diamond select uh trek related i don't think i have the uh the wrath of con communicator yet uh, version so um but yeah there's a geologic tricorder in this one that they made up just a little different than the others which is cool they use it at one point in the episode to set a little sort of perimeter alarm which i thought was a real handy little device i think the, all the tricorders should be able to do that so uh next up i think we have the the, the clip where uh, spock and scotty scotty's in the little jeffrey's tube area putting in his little probe in there to, to disrupt the flow and, and, and cut the engines that are seem to be making the, the Enterprise go faster and faster in this episode and, and pretty much getting close to blowing apart. Uh, it's, uh, it's a cool scene. Matt Jeffries, they, they built and designed a separate little uh, uh, special Jeffries tube and corridor a little area there for this uh, scene in this episode. And if you get the, uh, there's a, a something called the Star Trek Original Series Sketchbook, 
where that has a lot of Matt Jeffries uh, sketches and pictures and diagrams of things that he did on the series, and there's a picture of this in there as well. So listen to this clip. That is correct, Mr. Scott. That'll take some doing. And what purpose could it Please commence. I'll explain. You were correct in your field. The Enterprise was put through a molecular transporter and reassembled slightly out of phase. Reverse polarity should seal the incision. No time for theory. Just hope you're right. 20 seconds, Mr. Spock. I'm doing the best I can. Wait. So Scotty and Spock save the day there. He gets his little probe, uh, and he disrupts the flow, and they're able to stop this, uh, This basically, uh, the Enterprise just going, continuing to speed up and about to blow apart. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like the fact that you get all this little weird electricity flowing across Scotty, and he says it, it feels like ants crawling all over my body. And uh, and it's it's a good scene and, and fun to, to to watch and uh, a little kind of hokey in a way you know when you think about it he's just got to stick this little silver like screwdriver thing in this hole and bang that fixes everything uh, but hey I like it so uh, and that's that's the way a lot of things on TOS really happened they didn't there wasn't a lot of you know pushing computer things they would go into areas and work on junk and and you know, actually get their, you know, pull, roll up their sleeves and do stuff like that. So that's fun. Uh, and then the one more clip, I think, towards the end of the episode, uh, the the Enterprise, of course, is still coming really fast, a lot faster, and probably getting back to the planet quicker than they thought they could. Uh, and then uh, Lucera pops up once again, and uh, in order to solve the problem, the computer decides the, the little Lucera-generated uh, computers that or the computer images says, hey, if I can't get one of them, I'm going to create a Lucera to go after all of them. Uh, so listen to the ending, and this clip's a little bit longer, I think, because I, I, I take you through to the end of the episode. So listen to this, and I'll be back in a moment to wrap it up. Captain, we can no longer protect each other. Captain, 
So that uh, takes us to the end of That Which Survives. It's, it's a fun episode. I, there, there's some good stuff at the end there with with Spock and Kirk talking and doing their usual kind of end monologuing a bit and, and Kirk saying beauty will survive anyway. And that kind of gives you the title, That Which Survives. That, you know, the concept here is there was this planet uh, that was an outpost created for these uh, race of beings that uh, they were, you know, they were put out there for these little almost like little way stations I always thought of them to, to get to. And the computer system that was created there and, and set up was um, 
was there to protect it. And Lucera was one of the last uh, people or the last members of this alien species. And uh, the computer would generate these versions of her to protect uh, their their place. Uh, I thought there was a neat little twist there about that they creating the planet the way they did, that they created this disease that killed them all off. And, and there's a little bit of a kind of a Star Trek Gene Roddenberry kind of message in there. In, uh, in other words, sort of a don't mess with Mother Nature comment, commentary and thought there for this episode that if you try to cut corners and create a planet, you know, with an atmosphere and gravity and, and things more advanced than it should have in its early stages, that you may, you may mess something up biologically that can hurt you. And I, I like that. I think that's a very... Uh, good idea and, and something that Trek is, is good at anyway. It's it's kind of tossed in a little bit at the end. You, you, you know, if you watch this, you, you'll you'll see it and you'll notice it. As, as a younger person, when I was first watching it, I just thought she was, you know, LaCira was pretty darn hot. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, the Enterprise out of control going through the galaxy at, you know, warp gajillion or whatever it was at at the end there. 14, something like that. She can't take it, Mr. Spock. She can't go that fast. You know, it's like, uh, that's always cool, too. So it's a, it's a cool episode. Not a great one, but for the third season, I think, it, I think it holds up, and I think it's a cool episode to see again. And watch it, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever you want. It's out there to see. So uh, I've got uh, a comment here from Rick Moyer about this episode, and then I'll come back and wrap up today's podcast. I have awaited the regular supply ship from home for medical assistance, but I, I doubt now whether it will arrive in time. I will set the outpost controls on automatic. The computer will selectively defend against all life forms but our own. My fellow Kalandans. Hi there, everybody. It's Rick Moyer, Moyer777 from the forums. This episode of the original series of Star Trek was not one of my favorites. It's called That Which Survives, and Rico, thanks for covering it. To me, it wasn't the most action-packed episode, even though there was a lot of tension in it. But what it did do well was show what it's like to have Spock in command of the Enterprise. I always like those ones where he has to take over the ship and do different things, because you get to see part of him that you don't normally get to see. And he, uh, he, of course, leads with a completely different style than Kirk does, and so that's kind of fun to watch. We did get to see the inside of a Jeffrey's tube, which, when I was a little kid and seeing that, I was blown away and excited about that, because who doesn't want to make recreate the Jeffrey's tube somewhere in their home, you know? So uh, anytime we were on the playground or doing different things, we'd crawl into the Jeffrey's tube after we saw this episode because it was just cool. Um, it really did, this episode really benefited from the remastering because before it was remastered, it was really cheesy. The effects weren't that good. But uh, after it was remastered, it looks pretty decent, and so it helps it too. Of course, we get the uh, purple horizon on the rock planet, planet hell, they all called it, um, on the next generation and the old series. Uh, the original one that, uh, because they had this one particular set that always looked the same but I thought that was funny because it had purple well I'm colorblind sometimes so maybe it was purple maybe it wasn't but I thought it was purple um, what else do I want to say about this one I just wondered where Larissa or Losira, Lucira how, whatever her name was the commander lady where she got her wardrobe and, wardrobe and makeup I thought maybe the Bee Gees not sure but uh, wow 
cool makeup match the planet haze, the, the, the purple. So anyway, I don't give this a great, the greatest uh, stars out of five stars. I only give this a two. Um, but like I say, for the reasons I mentioned, I, I like part of it. Just not my favorite episode. So there you go, Rico. Um, hope you enjoyed my review. And thanks, everybody, at Trex and Sci-Fi. You guys are all awesome. I love Trex and Sci-Fi. It rocks. See you next time. Well, thank you, Rick. Thanks for sending in and taking the time to send in uh, comments. Uh, it's uh, always good to hear from you. And yeah, I again, I like I said a few times throughout today's podcast, not maybe the best of TOS. I think I probably covered most of the best of TOS so far, but it's got a fun uh, episode, some interesting uh, different dynamics, like you said about Spock and and that. So it's uh, yeah, it's fun. Oh, I and I uh, want to play uh, also one more clip that I have here. Not related to the Star Trek episode, but sort of not. No, I'm not going to say any more. Anyway, here's Vartok and his second part to his musical uh, question that he had at the beginning of today's show for all of you. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally near I will see my dream come alive at last I will touch the sky And I'm not gonna hold me down no more Hi everyone, this is Vartok again with the answer to the riddle posed earlier which was What was the name of the well-known TV series show for the music played earlier in this podcast? Well... If you said that was the opening theme music from Star Trek Enterprise, give yourself a well-deserved fanboy pat on the back. Yes, I know you may be thinking that Faith of the Heart, written by Diane Warren and sung by Jen and Angela, I mean Russell Watson, was the opening theme. Well, normally you would be correct. However, during season four of the Star Trek Enterprise series, for episodes 18 and 19, the opening and closing theme songs were altered by composers Kevin Kiner and Dennis McCarthy to be darker, without words, since these two episodes featured an alternate mirror universe where Captain Archer and his crew are evil, selfish humans only looking out for number one. The name of those two episodes were In a Mirror, Darkly, Part 1 and Part 2. So instead of the normal music describing hope and perseverance for scientific and exploratory goals, the darker theme music is played over graphics of warfare and mass destruction, such as a sailing ship firing cannon, World War I planes being shot down, World War II infantry and tanks advancing, a nuclear explosion, two submarines exchanging torpedoes, and more. Finally, the music ends with the launch of Apollo 11 with a cut to the scene on the moon where we see an astronaut in an Enterprise gold-colored spacesuit planting a flag into the moon's surface with the logo of the Earth on it with a vertical sword bisecting it. 
Now those two episodes, rated 8.8 out of 10 in the IMDb, are chock full of original TOS uniforms, equipment, and a later generation Enterprise. These are really enjoyable episodes where the normal cast get to play completely different characters and where the plots are so different. You can find them on Netflix and I highly recommend viewing them if you've not seen them in a while. I have the fanboy, I have to say that T'Pol is really cute in these episodes. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico. Oh, and by the way, Bartok will be guest hosting a Trucks and Sci-Fi episode next week. My theme for that show will be the music of Hans Zimmer, another one of my many favorite composers, and hopefully yours. I am requesting one to two minute long comments from you, the fans, on what your favorite Hans Zimmer music is and I will weave your comments into the episode. So get those recorded comments emailed to me by Thursday, November 10th. Well, thanks very much for our talk. I appreciate your uh, musical segment for this week's show. Yeah, that was a cool theme uh, to Enterprise that they used in the fourth season. I, I love those pair of episodes in Mirror Darkly. Great stuff. I, I think I've done a podcast on those way back, and uh, it's a it's a very cool uh, bit of music. And thanks for covering that. And again, I'm really looking forward to your show next week about the music of Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. He sounds like he should be a villain, like in a Die Hard movie, right? Hans Zimmer. Yippee ki yay! Oh wait, I, I can't say that on today's podcast or any podcast that I'll do. So maybe someday I'll do a podcast like that. Probably not though. <laughs> All right, everybody. I got to get out of here. I got to get this edited and get it up uh, uh, sometime soon. So, uh, everyone, have a great week. I thought there was something more I was going to mention. Oh, don't forget the contest. Don't forget the uh, the brains uh, podcast po- uh, podcast brains uh, the brains contest to win the Walking Dead comics and uh, all that. So, take care. I'll see you and talk to you in two weeks. Next week. We will have our talk again with Hans Zimmer music. So I will um, talk to you soon. See you on the forums. Join us if you're not. Bye. This has been a week old. Dusty Podcast Production.